0: If you've marked that, I would encourage you to go ahead and open up to Matthew chapter 6. There it is. Matthew chapter 6. That's where we're going to be at tonight in just a couple minutes. While you're turning there, allow me a brief moment to express my appreciation for your presence. As was mentioned in the prayer, this is certainly an atypical time to come together to study God's Word. As we all know, the scriptural times for gospel meetings are usually Sunday through Friday. So this is just completely off the charts but i appreciate your interest i also appreciate uh just inviting me to come we uh like most of you your plans for 2020 kind of just went out the window and that was the same for us we had meetings scheduled we had vacation scheduled all of them went completely out of the window because of COVID. I know that's not nearly what a lot of people had to deal with. So it's just good to get out of Texas. It's good to get out of your home and kind of be amongst people. In case you're wondering, you do have three kids. We left them at home for this weekend so that we could kind of have a little vacation for ourselves and, and meet all you people kind of unobstructed. But it's just a good to be here, and if nothing else comes out of this weekend, at least we have some good memories, some good friendships. I'm sure I'll come back uh, home to Greenville with a toll truckload of Facebook friend requests, which is always great. Uh, but it's always that good fellowship that we enjoy, wasn't one, was another. That's what I love so much. Uh, most of you know this, or some of you know this, but in uh, I actually am from Dallas. That's where I'm. That's where I live right now. I'm actually from Amarillo, which is in deep West Texas, right up there in the Panhandle. And if you've ever seen any cowboy movies that's essentially what Amarillo is it's just all kind of pastures and we measure how hard the wind is blowing by essentially how big the uh, how big the dust pile is we have these massive dirt storms and growing up in Amarillo there was a man by the name of Larry Cooper and Larry Cooper was not a very large man but he had a magnificently large voice and I remember watching him as a kid leading singing And he would get right up to the end of the podium and he would kind of lead singing and he would lean over the podium to the point where I thought that he was actually going to fall off the thing. And so at nine years old, my main interest at that point was kind of watching him to see if he was going to finally make that topple. He never actually did, which I'm glad to see. But what I remember most about Larry Cooper is not his singing voice, but one prayer he gave when I was about eight, nine, ten years old, somewhere along those lines. I was listening to him in the pews. This was the opening prayer. And he got up there and he started thanking God for the grass. And he didn't thank God just for the grass. He started thanking God for the individual blades of the grass. He started thinking about God for the atoms in the grass. He started thinking about God for all of how the atoms move and how the molecules work together. And that's where he began. He then moved to plant life. He then moved to various animals that crawled across the earth. He moved to the oceans. He moved eventually to the stars, to the clouds, to the planets, to all these different things. Fifteen minutes later... After he had done nothing else except thank God for all those things, he finally ended his prayer. And as an 8-year-old, if you're there, if you're in my position 8 years old, you know that that's probably the closest thing to torture at that point in time that you could ever have. Because you're just thinking about when you're going to get out of there, go home and play video games, eat some lunch. That's kind of what you're thinking about. But as I grew up and I started thinking about that prayer, and I started listening to other people give prayers, and certainly as I myself started taking part in public worship, I've thought a lot about that prayer. And I thought that takes a lot of guts to get up there and just kind of thank God for literally 15 straight minutes about all the things that he has given to us. And all of us know people like that. All of us know people that get up and do prayers and it just seems like eloquence is just their second language. It just seems like you can almost be moved more by their prayers or by something that they say kind of in passing than any preacher ever would. And Larry Cooper was that kind of guy. And certainly as I tried to get up and start doing public worship myself, I tried to start emulating that and had these really flowing, really flowery prayers, sometimes very long, but just trying to really move people by what I was saying. It didn't take me long to realize that that wasn't really my strong suit. And moreover, what I realized was that wasn't really what prayer was all about to begin with. You know, when you think about what prayer is, it's essentially a conversation between you and God. Now, very reverent, obviously very holy, of course, but it is a conversation that is contained between you and God. And that's why you see passages like the ones in Thessalonians that says, pray without ceasing. That's why Jesus talks about praying for this day, your daily bread. There's all sorts of this conversations that take place between you and God that should be a part of the fabric of our everyday life. That's what prayer is. And I believe that prayer is not only one of our greatest blessings as Christians, it's also simultaneously the most underutilized blessing that we have as Christians. The ability to call towards God at any point in time of day and just talk to Him about whatever it is that's on our mind. And I'm convinced that when you look in Scripture, you see this over and over again. You see these really short kind of bullet prayers or I call them arrow prayers that just kind of seem to go up and they're very short and they're very spontaneous. For instance, you see the one in Genesis 24 verses 12 through 14 where Abraham's servant is praying for a bride for Isaac and that prayer is all of 102 words. You look elsewhere in scripture, you see things like First Kings 18 when Elijah is on Mount Carmel and he's praying for God to display his presence. 62 words. You also have Second Chronicles 14 and verse 11, which is Asa's prayer. That's all of 54 words. First Chronicles 4 and verse 10. I put a little A on that because it's not even the entire verse. 33 words. And then you look at the prayer of the publican in Luke chapter 18 and verse 13. Seven words where he literally just says, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Those are short, bullet, arrow prayers that you see mentioned throughout Scripture. As a matter of fact, in Numbers and verse 13, you have the absolute shortest prayer in the entire Bible, which is Moses praying to God about Miriam, where all he says simply is, My God, please heal her. When we think about prayers, that's what we need to be thinking about. It's worth mentioning, by the way, that all of these prayers are answered. And so when we look at prayer through a slightly different context, not necessarily in the Larry Cooper eloquent style prayer, where we try to think about wooing God with our words or Less importantly, everybody else, we start to see prayer for what it actually is—a conversation to God about our needs in the moment, where we can pray to God about the things that are bothering us at that time. And you see that, for instance, in Matthew the sixth chapter, verse five. This is right before the model prayer. We're not going to get to the model prayer, but in Matthew chapter six, starting verse five, Jesus says, "When you pray, you are not to be like the hypocrites." For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners so that they may be seen by men. That's what I try to do in copying other people's eloquent prayers. Truly I say to you, they have their reward in full. But you, when you pray, go into your inner room, close your door, pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you are praying, do not use meaningless repetitions as the Gentiles do, for they suppose that they will be heard for their many words. Don't be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. I'm going to say something here this, tonight, and this may be the most controversial thing I'll say all weekend, and that's a really poor way, I understand, to begin a three-lecture or three-sermon weekend. But I would argue, too, that when you look at prayer, especially through the shortened context in Scripture, and you see what Jesus says here in Matthew chapter 6, you can make the arguments that words are the least important part of a prayer. Now, let me put a massive caveat on that. I am not by any stretch of the imagination saying that you do not need to pray towards God because, after all... God knows what you need. That's not what I'm saying here. But I think sometimes we get so caught up in making sure that we have the right words at the right time, structured the right way with the right grammar, the right syntax, and all these different things that it turns into more of a chant or some kind of spell that we're hoping that we think if God can just hear us, if we use the right words at the right time and the right place, if we can get the combination right, then maybe God will hear us. And I don't think that you see that in Scripture. Reality is, when you look at Scripture and you see what God has to say about prayer, there are four essential elements of what it means to pray. The first and foremost one is respect. Do I understand who it is that I'm talking to? And I know this is first, and this is probably the one that's probably the most obvious, but I think it's a point worth making, remaking, and making a third time because I don't oftentimes think that we realize that we're honestly talking to the creator of the universe. I think sometimes we have a more of a publican type of prayer. When we go towards God and we say, God, I'm so thankful I'm not like them. And you can insert whatever you want to with them. I'm so glad I'm not like them. Liar and a cheat and a scoundrel. I'm so glad I'm not like them. But I'm a Pharisee. I I fast twice a week. I pay tithes, everything that I get. I'm so holy. You should just be blessed that I'm even talking to you. Having that proper respect towards God is paramount to prayer itself. You also have the object. What is it that I'm asking for? And James, the fourth chapter, makes the point that he says you don't have because you know you're going to spend it on your pleasures, which goes into the next point, which is motivation. Why is it that I'm asking for this? I've heard prayers from a lot of people that talk about spreading the borders of God's kingdom and expanding the church and growing the church, and that is a very, very noble cause. But what's the end goal? Is the end goal so that we can just have more people fill our pews? Or do we really want to honestly expand the Borders of God's team? That's a prayer, and that's a consideration I think that's worth making. I think we also have to factor in the trust factor, though. Do you actually believe that God will answer your prayer? And I don't know about you, I don't know about your situation, but at least in my specific experience, this last one is the one that we sometimes have the most trouble with. We know exactly who we're talking to about. We know we're talking to God. We know we have the right motivation. We really want help with this sin that we're struggling with. We know we need God's forgiveness. We know we need these things. But we sometimes don't really think that God listens to us. And then you have passages like Luke, the 18th chapter, where right before Jesus gives this instruction, this parable, about a woman who goes to the judge over and over and over again, he prefaces it all by saying, I gave you this parable so that you would pray and never lose heart. I'm not going to have a straw poll here tonight about how many people pray and lose heart, but if I did and we were honest about it, I would imagine all of us have been in that shoes, those shoes at some point in time, where we pray and we're not 100% convinced that God listens to us. Maybe we're unsure about whether our lives are right before God. Maybe we're unsure about the motivation. Maybe we're unsure about our relationship with him. But for whatever reason, we're not necessarily convinced that God listens to us. If all of these components are there, I would argue too, then the words are secondary. Not that we don't need to pray or not need to have any words whatsoever, but that we don't need to obsess over grammar, syntax, structure, making sure that it's everything is in its right place. Because after all, God does know what we're asking for. And God does know what we're praying for. And if we think about prayer in the sense of a conversation with God, an ongoing conversation that we come to him every single day, multiple times a day, then our prayer life will be deepened and our relationship with God will be strengthened. We can focus on talking to God simply and confidently. And that's when our habits start to form. That's when prayer becomes not something that we struggle to do, Not something that we forget to do, but something that we get to do. I want to challenge everybody here tonight. I want to challenge everybody here tonight to make it a goal to pray to God constantly. Pray without ceasing. Pray to God all the time. Now, as soon as I say that, you probably have two reactions, one right after the other. The first one is, genius point, Brady. Obviously, pray towards God as much as you can. That's not a novel concept. But the second point that you're thinking right after that, if you're probably honest with yourself, the same one I have which is I don't have time to spend all day, every single day, on my knees in prayer to God because, after all, I've got a job, I've got family, I've got hobbies, I've got to sleep and eat at some point. So how is it that I can literally spend all day, every day in prayer towards God? I like what Martin Luther had to say one time. Martin Luther one time said, I have so much to do today that I cannot get started unless I spend at least two hours of my day first in prayer. Prayer should not be something that we squeeze in. It should not be something that we do if we have time for. It should be our natural reaction to the events of our everyday life. And so for that reason, I want to talk to you tonight, really briefly, this is, by the way, the halfway point, not the introduction. I want to talk to you very briefly tonight about the value of 10-second prayers. Some people have called these arrow prayers. Some people have called these you know, shotgun prayers that they just kind of throw up towards God kind of spontaneously. And all they really are is there's a situation, there's a thought that I had, but there's something that I'm struggling with. And so I pray to God very simply, very quickly on that behalf. Maybe as I look around in my life, I see my kids playing, and I just say a quick, thankful, 10-second prayer. Thank you, God, for my family's health. If you are out of the hospital, if you've had COVID recently, you're out of the hospital, you just think to yourself how lucky you are to be alive. Thank you, God, for this day. Thank you for my health. Thank you for the fact that I can breathe. Or maybe you're staring head on into temptation. Maybe you're staring head on into a trial that you have not just fought once, not just twice, but for 20 plus years, and you pray in that moment, God, give me the strength to push through this, to push past it. I don't need the strength tomorrow, I don't need the strength a year from now. I need that strength right now. My favorite part of the model prayer, and we'll talk about it a little bit more here in a second, but my favorite part of the model prayer Matthew chapter 6 is when he says, pray, for your, pray each day for your daily bread. That's a direct call back to the manna that fell in the wilderness where you had this daily sustenance that came down from God. I don't need manna tomorrow. I don't need manna two weeks from now. I need my daily bread. Sufficient for the day is the trouble therein. I love the point that Jesus makes when he talks about that. But there are some very real intrinsic benefits to having these short prayers. First and foremost, ladies and gentlemen, I think it shows a remarkable amount of faith. I don't mean faith that God's going to follow through on this prayer, that he's going to answer our prayer necessarily. I'm talking about faith on our part. If you're facing something that is really, really strong, and really unique, and really pointed, and something that you're struggling with day in and day out, the tendency sometimes is to go to God multiple times, or to have one long marathon session, where all we do is pray, 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 pray. And there's nothing wrong with that. Jesus, on at least three different occasions, spent all night in prayer. There's nothing wrong with that. But as one person said, when you pray towards God, pray it once and mean it. I think sometimes when we go to God in prayer, we think, I have to have all these words. I have to have all these unique kind of statements, and I have to structure it the right way, or else God's not going to hear me. But when I pray to God once, and I mean it, I have faith in the fact that he is going to hear me. I want you to look at Romans, the eighth chapter. I don't pretend to know everything that's happening in Romans 8. I certainly don't pretend to know everything that's happening in Romans 7. But Romans 8 is one of these chapters that is just it's just so thick with encouragement. And if you read the entire chapter Romans 8 cover to cover, what you find out is that ultimately he's talking about the fact that God or that nothing in this world can take away your salvation. Persecution's going to come, it's going to be hot, but nothing's going to take away your salvation. That's kind of the overall points. And Romans chapter 8 starting in verse 26, he says in these two verses, in the same way the Spirit also helps our weaknesses, for we do not know how to pray as we should. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Let me say it again. I do not pretend to know everything that's happening in those two verses. But what I do know is that God knows me better than I know myself. And when I go to God in prayer for this, or when I go to God for prayer in this, I pray to God for all these different things. What God really knows... It's what's best for me. When you look at passages like when Jesus talks about the power of prayer in the Sermon on the Mount. Actually, I think it's in the Sermon. I might be somewhere completely different. This is what happens when I go off the cuff. But there's a point where he says, you don't pray to God for a snake. Or if you ask your father for a piece of bread, he's not going to give you a snake. The whole point of that is to say that you may ask for one thing, but what's in your best interest is something completely different. And if you don't believe me, just listen to Garth Brooks' song, Unanswered Prayers, and you'll know exactly what I'm talking about all of us know what it's like to pray for god get something completely different and then say a prayer later and think i thank you god that i didn't get that thing whatever that was god knows us better than we know ourselves and so when we go to god in prayer these really quick arrow prayers we just pray to god about something it puts the ball in his court and it tells us that he knows us better than we know ourselves And you see this all throughout these two verses, that the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings that are too deep for words, searches the hearts, knows what the mind of the Spirit is, because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Now you may be sitting here thinking to yourself, I don't need to know this because after all, I know exactly what I need, and I know exactly how to pray. If that's the case, then you're better than John's apostles, who asked Jesus, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. When we go to God in prayer, it goes back to that first point we made. When we go to God in prayer, it's all about understanding who we're talking to and understanding that he knows us better than we know ourselves and understanding that he will give us what is in our best interest, not what we think is in our best interest. Number two, develops habits. I'm going to make this statement. I'm going to say it twice because I want you to take it to the bank. There are few things that you can do in your life that will have more of an impact on your spirituality than constant prayer. You can make an argument for Bible study, but there are few things that you can do in your life that will have more of an impact on your spirituality than your constant prayer. We oftentimes talk about it when we do sermons about Daniel, but I think it's worth pointing out the fact that Daniel, it's mentioned in Daniel, the sixth chapter, that he began and then he had another prayer in the middle of the day and then he ended every single day with prayer, as was his habit from when he was young. Now, it doesn't say that he spent hours in prayer, It doesn't say that he spent all this time in prayer thanking God for this and talking about this and talking about this. Although if you look at Daniel 9, I think you see a little bit what he was talking about. But it says that that was his habit. That was his routine. And if you look throughout the Psalms, if you look close enough, you see multiple times where David says, In the morning, I will praise you. In the morning and in the evening, I will praise you. At morning and at lunchtime and in the evening, I will praise you. There's a sense in which prayer needs to become a habit for us. And we pray certainly before we eat, we pray sometimes before we go to bed, even though if we're being honest we sometimes don't finish those prayers because we fall asleep, there's nothing wrong with that. But we pray at these very routine times, when in reality prayer should be a part that we pray for every single day. I want you to look in Ephesians chapter 6 with me. This is after the armor of God discussion that takes place in Ephesians 6 verses 10 through 17. But in Ephesians chapter 6, starting in verse 18, this is after the armor of God, after Paul has said we need to stand firm, that kind of stuff. Listen to what he says here in Ephesians chapter 6, starting in verse 18. He says, with all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit, and with this in view, be on the alert with all perseverance and all petition for all the saints, and pray on my behalf that utterance may be given to me in the openings of my mouth to make known... What are With boldness, what is the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that in proclaiming it, I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. We sometimes don't pray, sometimes, ladies and gentlemen, because we don't know what to pray for. We look at our world and we think things are going pretty good. My life's kind of trucking along as I like it. I'm not dealing with any massive temptation today. And so for that reason, I don't really feel a sense of prayer And yet when you get to the end of this section, here in Ephesians 6, verses 18 through 20, what we just read, Paul almost, and he has a habit of doing this, where he just kind of throws everything together. And he says, pray for this, do this, pray for this, don't forget about this. He throws it all up there in one lump sum. And when we think about the state of Christianity in the world, when we think about our own battles that we face amongst our pews, when we think about the interpersonal relationships that sometimes threaten to fracture a church, not just here but elsewhere, then it becomes very obvious to us that there are a lot of things that we can pray about. And as they enter your mind and as they enter your consciousness, I would encourage you to make it a habit to shoot up a quick 10-second prayer asking God to be with those people, to be with that situation that you're aware of, to be with that church that you know is struggling, to be with that person that you know is on the edge of possibly doing something that you know is not going to be in their best interest. And number three, It keeps you present. When we focus on the needs of today, and this is another reason why I love that statement where he says, pray for the daily bread. Give us this day our daily bread. When we pray for our daily bread, it keeps us present. Too many times we have the mistake of praying about something that will happen maybe 10 years from now. And we have a habit, and I'm the king of this, we have a habit of worrying about things that will never take place and then getting mad about them as if they already took place. When in reality, the only thing we need to be concerned about is today. I guarantee you, if I asked you yesterday or asked you today, if your today ended up what you thought it would be yesterday, nobody would say it was the exact same day. Something happened. Things changed. The moods fluctuate. People enter your lives. They leave your life. Things change. And the only thing that we know for sure is what we're staring at right in front of us. And we pray to God to thank him for those things. When we ask him for his help with those things, it keeps us present on the things in our life that we can control. We never look at Jude. I want you to read the end of Jude with me real quick. In case you're wondering where Jude is, just go to Revelation, go one page back. That's where it's at. I think a lot of us are scared to read Jude because there's a lot of stuff happening in there that just is really kind of crazy if we're not careful. And I'll be honest, I don't preach from Jude nearly as much as I should, but I think Jude, the more I look at it, is one of the most relevant works that we can find in the New Testament. There's so much happening in that book. And in Jude chapter, or not Jude chapter, Jude verse 17, he has this kind of section at the end, very much like Paul, where he wraps everything up. But he says in Jude verse 17, You, beloved, ought to remember the words that were spoken beforehand by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, that they were saying to you, And the last time there would be mockers following after their own godly lust. These are the ones who cause divisions, worldly-minded, devoid of the Spirit. These are the people that threaten the unity of the church. Look at what he says here in verse 20. Don't be concerned about them. Pay attention to them, but stay away from them. Verse 20, you, beloved, build yourselves up on your most holy faith praying in the Holy Spirit. Keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting anxiously for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to eternal life. And have mercy on some who are doubting. Save others, snatching them out of the fire. And on some, have mercy with fear, hating even the garment that is polluted by the flesh. Do you notice what Jude says in that passage? What Jude doesn't say is, I want you to think about all the things in the world that's happening. I want you to think about politics. I want you to think about the geopolitical situation happening in Iran. I want you to think about whether or not China is going to annex Taiwan. I want you to think about that. That's not what he said. What he said was, don't pay attention to those things that are outside your realm of control. What I want you to do, Jude says, is I want you to save the people next to you. I want you to encourage those people next to you. I want you to build up the people next to you. And if you remember, if you've read Jude at all, you know that he begins this entire book by talking about the faith that is now threatened. And it's threatened sometimes because we become so obsessed with big picture things that we forget about the people sitting next to us in the pews. We forget about the things that we can do right then, in that moment, at that time period. And so for that reason, 10-second prayers keep us present. We think to ourselves that I can pray for that later. I'll pray for that at nighttime when I have a little bit more time on my hands. I'll pray for that a little bit later when I can devote 17 hours to prayer. As if we have that kind of time in our life. Most of us would, at least I would die of hunger long before that. We need these little short prayers while they're on our mind to be thinking about them. One of the most impactful texts that you can ever get, that I ever get, is when somebody from Hillside randomly texts me and says, I'm praying for you. And that happens, and it happens probably to a lot of us from time to time. We have a guy at Hillside that is really, really good at that. He'll just text me in the middle of the day and he'll say, I just want you to know that I'm thinking about you and I'm praying for you. I don't know if I did something wrong at that point, but it it feels good to know that he has me in mind. And we may think to ourselves, well, I don't have time for these 10-second prayers. That's not something that I'm developing in my life. Ask yourself, what person in your life do you text all the time? I text Melina probably way more than I should. She texts me definitely more than she should. But we have these ongoing conversations with the people in our life that matter to us. And yet we sometimes don't have them with the one person, the one being that is the most important to us, which is God. When we have that constant dialogue going with God, where we talk to him day in and day out, where we have this conversation, this dialogue with him, we are pleading with him, we were thanking for him for all these different things. It keeps us focused on the only one that can handle everything, which is God. That's the value of 10-second prayers, ladies and gentlemen. That's the importance of fixating our hearts and our minds and our postures, keeping them always pointed towards him. If you're here tonight for some reason your heart is away from him, you're somebody who is obsessed with anything and everything, and yet you're missing the one thing that is most important, which is God, then you have this moment right now to make that right. We encourage you to come forward as we stand and as we sing.